This is Confessions of a Book Collector. I'm your host, David Headley, and I'll be exploring all aspects of publishing and book collecting, interviewing best-selling and upcoming authors, and sharing insights on inspiring books, both new and old. Welcome back to part two of my first podcast. And you've heard from Steve asking me questions. SJ Watson is now going to be interrogated by me, which I'm really looking forward to and talking to him about his three wonderful novels. Though I want to start, obviously, with his debut novel, because that's remarkable, and it's the reason how I got to become friends with Steve. You went to the Faber course? Academy. Academy. And did you enjoy that? I did, yeah. It was great. I mean, people often ask me whether they should do that course, for those that don't know, it's the Faber Academy. So Faber and Faber are the publisher, obviously, and they set up a creative writing course. And I did the first writing a novel from start to finish, it was called. It's a six-month course. And I was on the first intake of that. And I think because I kind of became the poster boy for a while of that <laughs> endeavour, people often ask me whether they should do that. And I always say, I, I don't know, because for me, it was exactly the right thing at the right time. It was what I needed to give me the confidence to write, to give me the confidence to show my work to other people, it really kind of inspired me and spurred me on. But I do know people who have been published, and I'm, I'm not going to mention names, but who have been published and who have had great success from that course and have also done that course, who, who felt it actually held them back and it wasn't the right course for them. So, yeah, I, the answer to your question is yes, I did enjoy it. It was the right, the right thing at the right time for me. Great. And, and I'm grateful for that course because we were then given, before I go to sleep, your debut novel, which I just, I, you know, I give... I, <laughs> prize it into as many people's hands still to this day because <laughs> I, I really did love it. It debuted in 2011. Mm-hmm. It sold to 42 territories, different countries. The film rights sold immediately too and mm-hmm. it was made into a film with Nicole Kidman and Mark Strong and... Colin Firth. Colin Firth, yes. And in fact... And Anne-Marie Duff is in it too. Oh yes. I mustn't forget Anne-Marie. <laughs> and I was delighted to be invited to the premiere with you mm. to go and see it and it was... Well, you needed to be there. Well, uh, no, I'm not, the, I'm not even joking. Uh, you, it, you totally did. did it was need to so be there. amazing. <laughs> I remember getting to the lift to go down to go to the bathroom, and this gorgeous smelling tall lady stepped out and winked at me and then I realized it was Nicole Kidman yeah. and I nearly she did passed smell out. Very nice that she night, did, she, yeah. and she looked beautiful. She was, <laughs> anyway, um, but your book was uh, I think we mentioned it in the first part was sent to me it was a bound um a bound manuscript because mm. the, the proofs hadn't been done but selena walker the inimitable and brilliant selena walker your publisher at the time mm-hmm. had bought your book and wanted me to read it and so she sent it to me and she said david you're the first person outside of the publishing house to read this book i hope you'll love it let me know what you think and i took it home and that was a friday it arrived and i and i remember Saturday morning coming and I went downstairs to the the kitchen and I pulled a chair at the kitchen counter and I sat down to read your book and before I knew it it was one o'clock in the afternoon and I devoured the book and I was aghast I mean I was just in a good way I was kind of like that is tremendous like that is the most (laughs) exciting book I've read in a very long time And, and and I think I've said to you before when books do that to you, when they place you, you know that they've made an impact on you. Mm. And, I, and the first thing I did was I, I emailed Selena and said, oh my goodness, I absolutely love this book. I, 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 what do I have to do? I'm, I, need to, I need to support <laughs> this book. I need to buy. And you know, it, it was the first time Goals of Books had bought a thousand copies of any title. And we mm. bought a thousand copies of your book. 
and we bought a beautiful edition, a gold edition. It was sprayed gold. It was beautiful. And it, it, and it sold out prior to publication, which I knew then I was on to like a winner as a bookseller. I was like, yeah, 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 I've got it right. And well, you know, your tremendous publicist at the time, Alison Barrow, did an amazing job to get mm. people to find out about that novel. And he just went from strength to strength. Mm. And it, uh, anyway, it's one of those <laughs> books that I, I, I'll always remember for the rest of my life because it was just incredibly, incredibly clever. Thank you. So, <laughs> so for those of you who have not read it, it's a psychological thriller that features a woman suffering from amnesia, which is caused by an accident 10 years prior. Uh, she wakes up every day with no knowledge of who she is, and the novel follows her as she tries to reconstruct her memories from a journal that she's been keeping. She learns that she has been seeing a doctor who is helping her to recover her memory, and that her name is Christine Lucas. She's 47 years old, she's married, and she's got a son. But as her journal grows, it casts doubt on the truth behind the knowledge as she determines to discover who she really is. And I think that's what you do so brilliantly. Um, I don't want to give anything more away, because if you haven't read it, there are more twists than in a corkscrew. <laughs> and it is just a page-turning, uh, brilliant novel. How long had that been percolating in your brain before you put it down on paper about two weeks oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> really? yeah no I'm, I'm serious no it was one of those strange um serendipitous things when i when i started the faber course so the history i've always written to a greater or lesser extent and just prior to the faber course i'd spent about probably about four years writing a book that i'd sort of finished and then edited and it hadn't worked and so I'd, I'd edited it rewritten it and edited it again but it just wasn't working and so when when I got when I was accepted onto the Faber course I thought I can either take that book that I'd been struggling with and try and finish it but I decided that the alternative I could start something new and that was preferable because I thought I would learn more from going in with a brand new project but I had no idea what I wanted to write I mean you know I've got notebooks full of ideas but nothing that was really exciting me I suppose so I began to I think the course started at the middle of February and from maybe mid-December onwards of the previous year obviously I started looking for ideas of what I could work on and what I could write about and one of the things I did was I found an obituary of a man called Henry Malaison who'd obviously just died and the obituary described how he'd spent most of his life in, well, all of his life, in fact, in institutions because he'd suffered catastrophic amnesia as a result of an operation that he'd had to try and help him with very debilitating epilepsy. And so the obituary described how he had essentially was unable to form any new memories. And I read this obituary and I just had this mental image of a woman. I don't know why it was a woman, but it was a woman looking in a mirror and expecting to see her teenage self and instead seeing someone much older. And I just thought, that's an interesting character. And so although I carried on looking for other ideas and trying other you know, things to, to generate an idea, that was the one idea that kept on pulling me back. So I think I read the obituary sort of, I say, mid to late December, and then in middle of February, just before the course started, I thought, I want to get a head start on this course, so I'll, I'll write a chapter, the first chapter, and this is, that's the story I chose. So it wasn't something I'd been, an idea I'd been playing with for years. And I think actually that's one of the reasons it, it kind of, I, I think I didn't overthink it. So, and in a strange way, that probably helped in what it became, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. I, and I remember Selena inviting me into the offices of the publishing house, and she said, I'm excited to show you covers for mm. the book. <laughs> and 
I don't know if anyone has seen, uh, this is a silly question, I'm sure lots of you have seen The Devil Wears Prada. Do you remember when Miranda Priestley goes to the, the <laughs> showing of the clothes before it goes to the Paris show? And she purses her lips in, in dissatisfaction. Mm. I practically did that when she showed me <laughs> your cover. And I was kind of like, oh. Mm. And it wasn't it was a bad cover. But, you know, in my mind, mm. as a bookseller, I was thinking it was going to be more powerful. Mm. I, I, and I know that you've told me that that cover was used internationally. Mm. But I didn't feel it was right for the UK mm. market. And so Claire Ward, who was the designer at the time, uh, we were in her office and she said, what do you think? And I said, I think it needs to be more iconic. Iconic. Well, <laughs> I'm not saying anything more because I can't say that it was my idea to put the eye on that cover. But certainly it was that conversation drove us that, down that route. Mm. And I saw a cover with the eye on and I said, that's it. It is it is that's an iconic cover and it it has proved to be it's a, a, a mm. beautiful cover i think claire did an extraordinary job absolutely and i, I can say that because i had nothing to do with what went on the cover so yeah i think it was <laughs> it was a brilliant cover uh, yeah claire's an, an um, amazing designer. and i think i think the proof was in the fact that so many books that were published in the months and years after it also had eyes on the jacket yeah well that publishing does that mm. it does it does seem to want to Jump on the bandwagon of other successful. Or books. flog a dead horse, one could say. <laughs> Not going down that route, but it does happen quite a lot. And so the success of that book was amazing. And then obviously you wrote Second Life. Tell me the the ideas behind Second Life. I mean, that's that's a quite a different story altogether, really. Yeah, I wanted to write. I mean, it's a, in some ways it's a much more straightforward psychological thriller. In other ways, it's not though. I mean. I was trying to bring lots of disparate ideas together. I think whereas Before I Go to Sleep came out, came out of one single moment where the idea came to me fairly fully formed. The character came in one, you know, blinding flash, for want of a better way of putting it. And then I just had to decide what I wanted to do with her. The character of Julia in Second Life was much more of a slow process. And I really wanted to write a book about addiction. A very good friend of mine said to me that addiction is a patient disease by which she meant that often people will be suffering from one form of addiction whether alcohol or drugs or whatever it might be and they'll they'll have stopped that they'll have given that up or they'll have you know conquered they think that addiction but then something else will re-emerge and claim them so I, I kind of wanted to write a character where that who that happened to I didn't want to write a book about somebody who is you know an ex-drug addict and starts taking drugs again so was, I wanted to do something much more nuanced than that but it was also a book about the modern day obsession, I think, or not obsession perhaps, but the modern day, the way that we live our lives now kind of in public and with online chat rooms and the ability, I suppose, one of the reasons, well, one of the reasons it's called Second Life is because it's about this ability to create a different persona and explore a different facet of your personality. And the internet enables you to do that in a much more obvious way. And I suppose it, I wanted to write a book that was, that was about the dangers of that. I mean, I'm talking about it now, and actually now, I mean, because I was writing, that book came out in 2015, so it's quite an old book for me now. And now I can almost see that there were, there were almost too many ideas going into it. Right. I think one of the challenges of writing that book was actually pulling a thread that where I could bring all those disparate elements together. But do you think 
the pressure from the first book, the success of the first book, maybe put more pressure on you to deliver yeah. the second book and be as successful? That must be hard. Yeah, I, I, it was. I mean, I'm always very cautious <laughs> talking about this because I'm really aware that it's a luxury problem to have. You know, I, I joke that there's a reason that the Faber Academy don't have a course entitled How to Follow Up a Hugely <laughs> Successful Best-Selling <laughs> Debut Novel. You know, it's a problem that most people would, would you know, kill for. But it did bring its own challenges. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a Stephen King quote, but he said that the thing about writing a book is you need to write the first draft with the door closed and the second draft with the door open, by which, you know, you write the first draft predominantly for yourself. You're telling yourself the story. You're, you're you know, that, that's... And you're not allowing other people, other people's opinions to even, you know, impact you in any, in any way. But then in the second draft, you have to obviously think about what the reader's going to be thinking your editor's going to be thinking what your agent's going to be thinking and I think I just well I know I just found it very difficult to keep the door closed as I was writing my first draft the metaphorical door obviously so I went from I wrote before I go to sleep in a in a, in a state of kind of blissful ignorance I, I was on the course so I had six seven people on my course who were going to read chunks of it not even all of it I would show it to my mom you know and my dad my stepdad and but beyond that, I had I didn't really have any ideas. My hope was an agent might one day read it, you know, or read something of mine. I wasn't even sure if it was going to be that book. So I wrote it without really thinking about other people at all, in a way. And then suddenly when I came, sat down to write Second Life, it suddenly I'd got, I'd not only got an agent who was going to read my work, not just hoping that, but this, you know, she was going to. And I'd also got not only an editor, I'd got four English language editors because I had, you know, UK, Canada... America and Australia all with different editorial inputs and I had I don't know how many 20s plus publishers around the world and more importantly than any of those people more important than any of those people I had however many you know millions of people had read before I go to sleep at that point so so I knew that a percentage of them at least were going to be interested in what I came up with next so it was it was very difficult to try and not think about all those voices I mean I, I, I don't do it anymore but I used to read my Amazon reviews and I remember <laughs> I remember there was one one star Amazon review that someone had written about before I go to sleep and they'd put something like uh, the characters in this book turn to each other so many times that it's a wonder they're not dizzy because obviously that's one of my crutch phrases you know I think all writers have them and if, if you're lucky if you if you're clever you take them out in the editing stage but I had you know he turned to her she turned to him you know as my kind of word my kind of phrase so when I came to write Second Life every time I was about to type he turned, she turned. I was thinking, oh no, Mrs. Mrs. Smith in Hartlepool isn't going to like this. So I need to take that out. Which, you know, it does make a difference. And I think I was trying to, I was trying too hard to recreate what Before I Go to Sleep has in terms of not the story or the feel of it even, but I think what it has is it's, it's a psychological thriller that doesn't really fit in the genre particularly neatly. And I think that makes it quite unusual. And I was trying to do that again with Second Life. And I think, unfortunately, when you try and do something like that, it, it, it just caused, I was tying myself in knots. So it's a book, it's a book I still really, I do love it, but it, it came out of a difficult time for me, I would right. say. Which it, is, which I mean, is it's, a, it's a great book. I, I really enjoyed it. And I, and I enjoyed Final Cut to your third book. You have a, a very clever way of looking at humanity and you, you write really very well. I, I, I've enjoyed all of your books. Well, thank you. Um, Black Blackwood Bay is the place for your third book. It's just an ordinary place where bad things have happened and to ordinary people. And I think that's one of your 
I think that is your thing mm. that you look at, isn't it? People who things happen to and you want to explore that and what, yeah. what damage it does. I mean, so far, yeah. I mean, so far, I haven't wanted to write crime fiction that has, you know, serial killers running around in ski masks. Not that I've run, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with those. <laughs> and I enjoy reading them. But so far, they haven't been something I've been interested in writing. I am much more, I've been much more intrigued by the dangers that everyday, ordinary people face. You know, I'm, I'm much more about the domestic problems and the domestic conflicts and how they can spell out into murder and people being really horrible to each other than I am with a kind of serial killer thing so far. Okay. But who knows what's next? Oh, what is next? I mean, where who are you? Who knows what's next? <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about, before I go to sleep before today, and I wondered whether you would ever revisit that. Is there, is there something to revisit there? Is there another story there? Well... I always said I would never do a sequel to Before I Go to Sleep for the sake of it. I would never do, because to me that's a that's a kind of a self-contained story, even to the point that it all takes, essentially, although as you mentioned in your introduction, she reads a diary, which, which allowed me to you know go backwards in time and explore more of the story. But essentially it starts with her waking up on one day and ends on the, without giving too much away, the final page is her going to sleep on the same day. So it all happens in within one day. And so I, I always said I would never do a sequel that was just, and then the next day she woke up and this happened, you know, a sort of straightforward sequel. And so, but I, I never ruled out doing something if I could bring something, doing a sequel if I could bring something new to the story. I think, I suppose what I'm trying to say really is I would only ever do a sequel if it made readers gasp right i don't i wouldn't want to do it if it was just oh oh there's a bit more you know of the story that because i think people would be interested i the one question i still get asked and it's now but isn't that that book is now what almost 10 years old 10 years well over 10 years old yeah mm. the paperback was out in 2012 so uh, yeah 2012 so it's 10 years old I, I still get questions about what happened after that book finishes you know and i've toyed with the idea of writing a short story or a novel or a novella or something that carries on the story but i've not been i've, I've not been drawn to do it to answer your question I am playing with an idea that I think might have that jaw-dropping thing to it. So there's you a possibility. Here first, guys. Well, I'm yeah. so excited now. <laughs> there I'm... is a possibility. I'm not promising anything, but there is. I am. There is something growing in my notebook that I am becoming increasingly intrigued by. I remember when I wrote "Before I Go to Sleep," thinking. When I started to write it, because it's, 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 it's in many ways, especially for a debut novelist, it's such a stupid book to try and write, to write a book about an amnesiac who doesn't remember anything that's been going on in the first person is kind of ridiculous. And even as I was writing it, I thought this is kind of ridiculous. But if I can pull it off, if I can make it work, it might be really special. And I think what I'm trying to say is I, I would only write a sequel if I had that same sense of I don't know if I can pull this off, but if I can... It could it could be really special, and I, and I think I'm, I have an idea which is scaring me, which actually I think is a sign that it might be where I ought to be, pushing my work. <laughs> I'm really excited. I, I can't wait. Uh, you know, I, I remember lots about before I go to sleep, uh, and I mean I remember detail about that book and how it challenged me and how it made me feel. You probably remember more than me. People well, talk to me about the story, and I'm like, I haven't read it for t over twelve years now. <laughs> I, I I do have an exceptional memory. Um, my husband will tell you he wished I didn't have such a, <laughs> a, a, a great memory because I will bring things up that he said. And anyway, well, that's a different story. <laughs> I should write about that. So one of the things that you are really good at, and, and we spoke about it in, in the first part, was 
you support lots of other authors. I mean, you have mm. your Twitter book club mm. and you support authors with your groups. I mean, you have a, a, a writer's group that you help mm. support other authors. I guess you just really want to be surrounded by writers to, to help them and support them. Mm. Have you read anything recently that you just think, oh my goodness, this is really brilliant? Unfortunately, I'm the opposite of you. I have a terrible memory. All oh, right. So the answer to the question is, yes, I have. But what are you going to, what you're really asking me, what have I read no, recently? No, 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 if you don't well, remember. I read Victoria Salmon's book which is called Truly Darkly Deeply, and I really, really like that. That's an exceptional book, yeah. and I, I will be talking about that in a future podcast. In fact, I'll be in this year? July. Yeah. I'm going to invite Victoria to come onto the podcast, and we'll talk about her book. It is uh, one of, uh, again, like Before I Go Sleep, is one of those books that is doing something just slightly different mm. and pushing, pushing the boundaries, and it's a book I'm very, very excited about this year. Um, I'm fortunate to represent Victoria, so I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Oh, very much. I know. So, yeah. Well, I know you did because you gave her a blurb for <laughs> for the book, so I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do like to support other authors, but the thing about for me, the thing about a blurb is, for those that maybe don't know, a blurb is a little quote that you know you get on the front cover of books, often from Stephen King. But he's I, he's so supportive. He isn't is he? very supportive. I, yeah. I love that about him. Actually, I shouldn't say what I was to. about to say. I was about to say I, can't, <laughs> I can't believe he has time to write all the books he writes and read all the books he must read. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's a bit like you. Where do you get these hours? Do you sleep? Well, I do, but don't, don't sleep enough. Okay. And I read really quickly, as yeah. you know, because I told you I sat, sat in one sitting, which yeah. is probably really upsetting for many authors when they've spent days, weeks, yeah, I spent hours, months, years on these books. Yeah. And you read them in three and I read hours. Three or four hours, I can read a book. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit disappointing. But I do take it all in. I'm not, I'm not skim reading. I'm reading. Mm. But I think a lot of what I was going to say about blurbs, though, I think a lot of people think that they are favors that authors do for other and maybe some people in some cases that maybe is true i don't know but i only ever really give a quote for a book i love yeah and that's right too yeah because you can't you can't fake it i mean one of the fortunate one of the great sort of perks of the success that i've had is that i do get tons and tons of books landing through on my doorstep <laughs> every day it feels like uh, I, I don't have time to read them all no. you know i read as many as i can and i and I, I try and skim all of them so i can get a nice sense of whether i'm going to like it or not but i couldn't read them all but when i do read one i think yeah this is this this is great you know there'll be things that, and it's nice when you, you love a book and then it does well you experience this i know you know when you when you love a book and you think that's great and it should do really well and i hope it gets read by a lot of people and then it does find a readership that's really wonderful it is so, Steve, this is the confessional part. This is Confessions of a Book Collector. And so, welcome to my confessional. Tell me about some of the books that you have in your collection. This is a podcast for book collectors too. So, what are you really proud to have in your book collection? There are a few, actually. I've got, I've got the first edition, um, although it's also the TV tie-in because it was never published in hardback uh, uh, before the TV tie-in of um, Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit. Right. But probably the one I cherish the most i don't know if i'm like proud to own it but i cherish it is a few years ago my for christmas my parents got hold of a first edition first printing of the handmaid's tale and it wasn't signed but then a few years later or sometime later anyway margaret atwood was in london and i queued up for <laughs> an hour uh, uh, to chat to her and got it signed so it's now a signed first edition of The Handmaid's Tale so that's probably the one I'm most pleased and delighted to have in my collection it is an amazing book and mm. you're not willing to sell it you don't want to sell it do you I know no I because know it's also buy. signed to Steve oh so. is it yeah no, that's no good to me it's no good to you no. <laughs> but Orange is the Only Fruit is a wonderful book and it was published as a, a paperback original yeah a, a tiny little paperback yeah and it's worth a lot of money even though it's a paperback 
Oh. Right, I've got the hardback. Is that worth anything? Uh, yeah, it's, Not it's, that I'm going to sell collectible, it. But, but, it, you know, it <laughs> but it's the first edition that ha- in that, that format. That so, format, yeah. yeah, it's never been hardback before, as you rightly say. Great. And mm. uh, anything else? Well, I mean, I, I don't want to... Sort of, I've also got The Folding Star by Alan Hollinghurst. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know if that's particularly collectible or particularly, you know, worth... It's, for me, it's, n- it's never about whether these books are worth anything, although it's nice to hear when you hear that they are. But for me, it's just I absolutely love that book. Yeah. So uh, I love the swimming pool library. Yeah. It's an amazing Yeah, book. I don't have that. Oh. I mean, I, I've got it in paperback, but yeah, I don't have the anything collectible. Look, I'm going to say thank you so much to you. I am grateful for you giving up your time to come and do this podcast uh, with me. Thank you for inviting me. Subscribe now and follow Goldsboro Books on socials to keep up to date with our latest news and to learn who will be joining me on Confessions of a Book Collector, your new favourite podcast.